Welcome, everyone, to the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. You're going to wish you shot me. The Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 110, Virtue of the Vicious, is brought to you by Gala Hotel's Fire Hose Elevators, guaranteed to let you down. Well, Pete, a little chuckle there from you, and I think we will uh, we will dispense with the normal cross-pollination plug to just note that on the very day that we are recording this, December 11th, 2017, uh, recording a couple days before it drops, strange to watch this episode on a day when there was a, uh, a largely failed suicide bomber attempt in New York City, not in a uh, dissimilar fashion uh, to, to what we saw in this episode. So this this strange this strange mirroring of life and art and fiction and and reality altogether. And Matt, in a location you and I have frequented, I've been there quite a bit. I prefer to park when I drive into the city at the uh, Port Authority bus terminal. Um, Last time we drove into the city that was not to go to New York Comic Con when we take the train, uh, we went that way as well. So it's particularly close to home for us. Thankfully, uh, no one was killed. There were uh, four injured and, and then the bomber. He's the most seriously uh, injured. And I think it underscores all too well how timely this series is i mean thank goodness matt they've been able to get this product to air i put in air quotes you know get it all on netflix because we speculated when the new york comic-con punisher panel got you know swept away by the, the tragedy that took place in uh, las vegas that you know, might there ever be a good time given the violence in our country, in our world to get this up there that's not in some way um, oversensitive. So, yeah, I, I just continue to be amazed by the discussions that this show creates with its content. Pete, I had posted on Twitter a, uh, a uh, quote from uh, last the, the the previous episode of Punisher, essentially talking about how uh, how these bombers are cowards and how they think they're going to scare people into making them do what they want. They're wrong, uh, certainly, and unfortunately, a timely a timely message uh, today. I tweeted that out, and uh, we we got a reply from uh, AKA Frank Castle. He goes by that's at DJ underscore Black B L A K three five seven. Uh, and this is somebody who we have not met in person. It's somebody who we got to know a little bit on Twitter. He was actually in the theater at Madison Square Garden with us and 4,997 other people. Um, but, uh, you know, and saw, saw the same panels we did, Shield included, big Shield fan. Um, and somebody who we've interacted with a little bit, but have not met. And uh, he, he replied to my tweet and said, I literally travel through the Port Authority every day for work, and I fear what happened this morning every time, uh, which I think gives pause to all of us. Um, yeah. And I had replied essentially, hope he continues to be safe. You know what? Let's meet up next year at New York Comic Con just to show these people that uh, you know we're not going to be fearful. We will grow stronger. So... 
in a small, small way, you know, I'm not saying, oh, this show has changed us, but you know, this show a reminder to to keep the strength out there and to to keep those positive connections. And uh, it's gonna in that spirit, I hope to uh, be shaking shaking the hand of uh, of DJ Black next year, next October. Everybody safe, still showing that New York resilience. Absolutely. Why don't you take us to the recap, Matt? The episode opens in a doubly jarring manner. Before the title card, we see Lewis, quote-unquote, earlier today, taking out an Anvil employee in his home, shooting the man in uh, the eye through the apartment's peephole. After the title card, in present time, everything is over, as Sergeant Brett Mahoney is talking to Billy about the situation. Did I skip an episode by accident? Billy explains that Lewis was rejected as a candidate for contract work, and Billy runs a tight ship, thank you very much. Four dead represent a military loss, and the senator, the target, is just fine. Oh, and Billy hasn't spoken to Frank Castle in years. In the past, six hours earlier, Senator Ori is touching base with Billy about the newly contracted security job for Anvil. Billy receives a call from Frank, saying that Lewis is on the way. All Anvil has to do is stay clear, and Frank will finish Lewis. It's clear that Frank is in the building, and we see that Karen Page is en route as well. In the present time, Ori gives his statement to Mahoney, flashing back to Karen interviewing him earlier that day. The door exploded, and Lewis entered first, with Frank not far behind, the two on the offensive together, while Ori valiantly grabbed a gun and went for help. In the present, Karen laughs at Ori's tale of heroics. Lewis and Frank were not working together, and Frank Castle saved the day. She recounts, in the past, that she ran into Billy in the hall, the same Billy who made sure her permitted and concealed handgun was not in her possession. The story briefly moves without a narrator, as we see Lewis downstairs ducking Billy, the camera finding Madani waiting in the lobby. The story returns to Karen interviewing the senator, discussing the difference between rhetoric and action. Is a gun just a tool? Concurrently, Lewis makes his way through Anvil security, killing men one by one. He blows the door on the senator's suite, ready to kill him, but it's Frank Castle who dives between Lewis's gun and Ori and Karen, taking the bullet in his vest. Lewis takes Karen hostage, revealing that he has a bomb strapped to him. Anvil backup arrives. Lewis and Karen take the elevator, while Frank runs for a new firefight, taking hits to his vest and the body he uses as cover. In the present time, Mahoney is interviewing Madani, who was at the hotel to see a guy. We flash back to her telling Rafi that her failed ruse was a way to ID William Rawlins, but only after pulling the bug in her office. Rafi shows her that all the dead mercenaries had anvil connections. Back in the hotel lobby, Lewis passes her and she talks to Billy, pulling at the thread that he was in on it. He doesn't budge, calling Frank the beaten dog who went crazy. Their conversation is cut short as fire alarms sound. The doors have been blown upstairs. Frank is taking the back stairs out, and Madani senses it. She corners him, but Billy is there too, one floor up. He fires at Frank, grazing him. Then there's a standoff between Billy and Madani. She intuits that it was Billy who killed Stein, and then the NYPD corners the three of them, with Frank making an escape. In the present time, Madani leaves the hotel suite and crosses paths with Karen. 
We see more of Karen's past. Still a hostage with Lewis, they make it to the hotel kitchen, where Lewis is slowly coming apart. Frank catches up with them, throwing signals to Karen about pulling the white wire. In a tense scene, she finally pulls it and is freed, though Lewis locks himself in a walk-in refrigerator. He's ready to go, go, go like a soldier. He reconnects the white wire and blows himself up. The smoke clears, SWAT is there, and Frank has a gun on Karen. They go into the elevator, but the kidnapping is a ruse. They stop the elevator and almost kiss, but Frank goes out the top. In the present day, Karen's story is over. If Castle is a terrorist, then Karen is a victim, and he must have had a way out. We cut back to the past, Frank ziplining out of the building, still a free man, to end the episode. I love the construction of this episode and particularly enthralled at the retelling of the burst into Senator Ori's hotel suite with the different perspectives. You know, the the time that uh, Frank is cooperating with Lewis and then obviously the way it actually unfolded. Um, real, real depth to a fairly simple narrative, A to B to C, if you laid it out on paper, but to jump around as they do. And then with the different perspectives, you know, I liked when Madani and Billy are in the lobby downstairs and then the fire alarm goes off and he books it upstairs and she hears via, you know, one of the, um, the walkie talkies that, you know, there's a breach just the, the show continues to blaze new ground. I didn't think it could find. Generally, when I see an episode of television where they cut to halfway through or cut to the end, or you don't quite know in the beginning, and then they go back and there's a retelling. Generally that gets my sensors up to say, this was not a good episode that they, for whatever reason, and they've needed to go back and add this as a narrated flashback of some sort, the interview after it's happened or partway through, that sort of thing, um, which is to say generally they're saving an episode in the edit. Clearly this was an episode where that was not the case. Clearly this was an episode where it was written this way. We are meant to feel like we have skipped an episode by accident because we're in this destroyed vaguely familiar suite we've been in it enough with the senator and billy and, and so on and so forth the, the 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 writing bravery to not just double back you know not just have a narrated flashback but then to have these different perspectives and to have these stories crisscrossing that's where you can tell it was constructed on purpose the best those scenes in the lobby where it's following you know kind of narrator lists or it becomes madani later on and, and all of all of the construction that went into this episode, it really, really is fantastic. And you look at the culmination of Lewis's storyline, um, you know, taking the uh, outfit from the uh, Anvil employee early on in the episode, gaining access to the hotel, then systematically working his way up the hotel and ultimately carrying out this act and then, you know, blowing himself up, you know, not willing to be taken alive. Um, you know, again, the, the cowardly situation, 
you know, stand justice or, you know, go out the way that he does falling back on this misguided mantra that, okay, you know, on the Afghanistan planes, the, the women are going to come and, you know, uh, destroy your remains. So, you know, this, this little, this sick little poem that he repeats that certainly gets the distortion across and you feel for somebody who would be in a moment like that, but at the same time, you cannot sympathize or empathize with these acts. There's no question that he is he is the most villainous in the episode, given all the you know all the violence he rains down. Uh, I would like to posit that this is an episode filled with villains. Lewis, Frank, Billy, Madani, Karen, they're all concealing, they're all lying. Um, perhaps the only one not to be touched with the, I, I guess the senator as well, and he's, it is suggested he's purposefully misremembering the events. Perhaps the only one who, who escapes scrutiny is Mahoney, uh, in, in that he is attempting to search for the truth without bias. Other than that, this is just an episode that, you know, Lewis narratively is leading the forefront in terms of, taking us down this path of darkness but everybody has something to hide everyone has an agenda everyone has darkness particularly in this episode well we have built and built and built to this point and when you think about the narrative timeouts that they have taken to lewis's storyline and at least two occasions we went an episode without seeing him you know matt i think back to him in the foxhole and that would be a welcome if you know just really kind of odd diversion compared to where his storyline goes i mean i never saw it ending in such a way and that's the great equalizer in drama the ability to remain unpredictable and even with him coming into the hotel in this episode, I didn't see it ending with him in a freezer refrigerator blowing himself up. I appreciate in particular how uh, elements of last episode and certainly this episode unsympathized Lewis for us, the audience. Uh, I was fully ready for many episodes in his arc to give him the sympathy that I think should be afforded to, to a vet, to a vet who has, uh, has mental health, uh, issues, concerns, uh, pain, etc. Um, but they did such a great job of taking us to that point and then showing him fully crossing over. I mean, I suppose that was with the, uh, the killing of O'Connor. Um, and I think also of the, the comments that, uh, Frank made last episode, the, the two comments, one that, some people want, you know, join the Marines, join the service to serve, but he, he wanted to fight this idea of just right. to fight whoever. And then, uh, to repeat again from the last, uh, the last podcast to highlight that, uh, that Lewis has taken the flag to, to wipe the, the wipe the crap off his shoes. Um, we see that here too, where this is just a reign of terror for the sake of what i don't think it's even clear to lewis at this point certainly not in lewis's last half hour on earth where where he's increasingly coming apart at the seams i think 
what you mentioned about Frank and the goading that he gave to Lewis in the previous episode about wanting to fight. And here with these sing-songy rhymes and remembrances about staying calm and, and about what to do if you're shot and, and to take your own life rather than, you know, have Afghanis, you know, do it for you because, you know, Afghani women were, are, were and are going to do that. that that's ridiculous. Um, you know, yes, it's a theater of war, but let's remember civilians are civilians. Are there bad eggs? Of course they are. But that kind of generalization, that's the kind of distorted thinking that Lewis is endemic of. And um, to, to go out this way like a coward uh, because he lost the fight, not like Frank, to go and stand trial and then to uh, be judged guilty and to face the system and, and to go to jail and everything like that. They're diametrically opposed. And we know that Frank is man enough to take it and to accept the responsibilities. And yes, he's taken, you know, matters into his hands in order to get out of prison and everything else. But Lewis, Lewis is a punk and he didn't do this for country. He didn't do this for family. He did it for himself. And when it didn't work out, he hits the game over button. It's interesting to me hearing all that, reflecting on all that, to, to, to return again to this notion of making the Punisher bad, but the bad guys worse. Uh, because our sympathies still do lie with Frank after all this. Now, it probably helps that he's in there saving the innocent senator, saving Karen, who you know certainly is, uh, is precious to the audience and whatnot. But for him to walk away from this, um, I don't want to say blameless, but it's like once again we sweep under the carpet how many people did he, you know, bonk on the head and beat badly in this episode? How many just fine cop on the beat people who were, you know, called over to the hotel? You know, did he did he punch? I'm certainly not uh, saying that that's acceptable behavior in real life, but in our in our narrative here, it's so easy to accept it because there's so many worse people. Uh, Billy probably, you know, at the top of the list right after Lewis. Well, you read my mind. The, the comparison amongst everybody else, obviously, Frank stands head and shoulders. And that discussion between Billy and Brett Mahoney about how they vetted Lewis and how he wasn't good enough. That and the fact that Madani gets from um, Rafi Hernandez the uh, dossier of the guy's who were killed that were all connected to Anvil, these four guys, four for four, and she's already piecing it together mentally. And by the time they meet in that stairwell, she knows it's him. And it was a really great and again, non-predictable way, you know, not like, oh, they're in bed and suddenly she puts it together that, oh, it's, it's him and now has to, you know, extract herself from the situation this was far better and not cliched in the least well and you hit the nail on the head i, I think in lesser hands uh in terms of the show being run you would have had 
you know, the sixth sense montage of her putting it all together and hearing echoes. Stein, come back to me. Live, damn it, live. Instead, it's just her intuition, not not women's intuition, you know, agent intuition where she puts mm -hmm. it together and the light bulb goes off. And we don't need more than that, in part because we know much more than her. So thank you for not doing the disservice to the audience of making us figure out the things that we figured out when they were presented in, in quote unquote real time. Um, I, I, I like too that, that we have here, we have three episodes left and we've had in other Marvel Netflix stuff in particular, I think the pacing tends to get better with each of these seasons. But I mean, you talk about here we are at episode 110. we're getting rid of one really compelling villain uh, now clearing the board for three episodes through which we don't know Billy's fate. We know Rollins is, you know, again, episode 112, 113, somewhere in there, that's the final showdown. Um, but there's this really excellent progression in terms of, uh, of where things are at in the season. Yeah, and this veneer over Billy, this, this slick idea, um, it's stripped away now and it's going to be interesting to see does Rollins bail him out? Do they turn on one another? Um, does he attempt to exploit Frank's desire to kill uh, Rollins for his own survival? I mean, there's a number of ways you can go and, I have to imagine, Matt, if I'm going to sit here and and write down how I think it goes, I, I dare say they're going to come up with something I haven't thought of. And I really appreciate about this about this show. Well, if we're going to go into full theory mode, I think here's the question to consider for the next three episodes. Who is our big bad who's the, the the big bad for the audience i think that we've been given a, a an organizational chart that puts rollins at the top certainly he has all this power he's poised to become a deputy director of the cia um old virginia money all of that he, he kind of in terms of class and wealth and power and prestige he's at the top but hasn't at this point hasn't billy done the greater wrong Absolutely. to frank there's there's the interpersonal villain of Billy, this unforgivable betrayal. Um, and and do we at some point line him up? Was he in on the slaying of Frank's family? That I think is is the dagger that if Rollins has something to throw back at Billy, it could be that. I would hope that the show is is done with that. I mean, we have Rollins. Rollins was revealed as the real guy behind the killing of the family after we had the original people who killed Frank's family in Daredevil. Um, if we now go, if it, I guess if we add Billy to that, it's not impossible from a writing room sense. I mean, certainly is, is possible in a, in a story sense. I could see why in a writing room you might reach that conclusion just as the extra betrayal. But I think here's what, here's what I would propose. You kill off Rollins first. That's justice for the family that Frank had at home. And then the final showdown be the other family, the military family, the betrayal of his Marine brother uh, in, in the final episode. 
Um, I could be completely wrong, though. I mean, they. I, I think this is this is such an incredible and intuitive and talented writing room that they could turn things on their head. That said, if they want to just play it straight up the organizational chart, and we end up with a big firefight in a in a you know uh, abandoned factory, and it's Frank versus Billy and Rollins, and Billy gets it first and Rollins gets it last. That's okay too. You can play it traditional. If I'm going to handicap it, I would say that Rollins goes first, and and then you have the more satisfying relationship with Billy and Frank on display. And consider too, you know, Frank has pieced it together because he's seen this play out between Madani and uh, Russo. But he is unaware of the Rollins connection at this point. He certainly is. And I mean, I just feel like there's so much richness left. I'm aware of this ticking time bomb of there's only 13 episodes. We only have three to go. Um, on the one hand, it could be an age to get there. It also, it also could go quite quickly. Uh, I'm reminded indirectly of Fargo season two that had the, uh, had the interesting choice of resolving the major conflict in uh, in in the penultimate episode, episode nine of ten, and mm-hmm. then the tenth episode was just the the uh, not the even fallout. Yeah, it was just kind of like the resolution of everything. There was no ticking time bomb. There was no gun to the head. There was n- nothing. It was just an hour to exhale and to wrap things up. Um, I doubt the Punisher would do that. I mean, we need to have the big, you know. Somewhere at the 35-minute mark, 40-minute mark in the final episode, we do need the big showdown, guns a-blazing, uh, maybe Punisher, skull, body armor back on, that sort of thing. But um, I feel like this show has the ability to go any which way, including some of these non-traditional routes. And it's a credit to Steve Lightfoot, the, uh, mm-hmm. the showrunner, and the entire production staff. This is a world away from shall we say, some of the other Marvel TV things like, you know, Inhumans or, or Iron Fist where, I, I mean, this is what a showrunner does. You can just feel the different presence here. They can't all be home runs. And, and we've learned that in 200 plus episodes. And, you know, I, I look forward, Matt, when we get a pause in, in the schedule we've had to maybe sit down and, and look through all these episodes and, and point to Marvel's finest TV hours. And I'm willing to bet there'll be a couple from Punisher. Um, when you consider everything that the Marvel Netflix side of the universe has yielded in four shows of defender heroes and then the defenders themselves and then the unexpected spin-off of the punisher and you look at the strength of this series i went into this series with very low expectations i have no problem telling you that it's not that i was down on it and i think if if people go back and listen to our you know, little why we're still doing the Punisher when a lot of people kind of backed away or, or weren't going to get into it in the first place. Um, I was worried about what we were going to see and, and how it was going to really affect the experience. And these storylines and the characters have just been so well drawn and well formed that, you know, I, I look forward to 
getting back to it and then talking about it. I'm glad you bring that up that, you know, that, uh, that episode we did, why we're still podcasting the Punisher and indeed the, the, the cause celeb of, Oh, I'm, others were going I simply won't watch it. Pinky out as though this show certainly sight unseen as, but as though this show somehow was contributing to all these awful things that are going on. I mean, th right. this isn't, you know, if you want to say after the fact, if, if some nutball gets inspired by this show, first of all, I, I, I would dare say this is too well constructed for somebody to watch it and be like, I mean, no offense to the, to the Thomas Jane movie, for example, but you watch that and it's like, yeah, get a cool black car and a skull t-shirt and you shoot up the bad guys. Mm -hmm. That's not the, the, the taste of this show. Um, it's as deep as a puddle. And, you know, with everything we've just been talking about in terms of the societal and cultural landscape we're at with the gun debate and terrorism and all these things right now, Matt, you could have seen them potentially cop out. Wow, this is too hot a potato to handle. We're, we're not going to go there. And, you know, the, the discussions with Senator Ori, with Karen uh, her as a concealed carry permit holder, everything, you know, I, I'm, I've made it very clear. I'm, I'm not a gun guy. Um, I appreciate and respect the second amendment, but you know, I'm, I'm concerned obviously in the wake of, of the way things go. And that's about as political as, as I'm willing to get in terms of my views on that. But this show has presented it really, really smart and it, it's not a cut and, and died issue that you, you just take away the guns. But what was the line from, from Ori, you know, to keep all weapons out of the hands of the wrong people. And we know with absolutes, they're often impossible to carry out. And the, the show does not shy away from it in any way, shape or form. And, you know, I've, I've really appreciated Frank's response to with a lot of this. I mean, he knows what he is. He has no illusions about what he is. The idea he's going to do it his way, um, you know, and, and everything that he's done in his, what he perceives as his mission here. But, you know, just nothing but respect for the way that they have rolled this show out. I think I'm probably even less of a gun guy than you are. And even to my ears, when Senator Ori uh, was asking, well, Karen, why do you have a gun? She said, for my personal protection. And, and his line of, isn't that something society should provide? I mean, A, he's being hypocritical as the camera right. shows us because we cut to the hired security. But also there's just kind of this moment of, yeah, but society always can't. And that doesn't mean I personally am advocating a gun in every purse and every, you know, every pocket. But I know it's more than he's making it out to be. Um, and quite frankly, for the show to take me there as somebody who should, should be ready to donate to a hypothetical Senator Ori, you know, presidential run or something, uh, to me just to say, well, this guy doesn't see it from all angles. That's a credit to the show where we are seeing things from all angles. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really look forward to the resolution and, and how they're going to tie this up and the idea that it won't be absolute, that this show, like Frank, knows what it is. It knows more than not that its audience is going to tend to be pro-gun. Um, 
I mean, listen, I, I think it's a larger issue. Little boys play with guns and we come to believe that, you know, whether it's a, a ray gun or a laser or whatever it is. And then the idea, all right, here's your Nerf gun and now you get a pellet gun and, you know, then you're hunting with dad or whatever it's going to be. Um, it's so truly societal. And, you know, I, I think this is the only country in the world where because obviously the toy industry and, you know, the, the way things go, it's a little bit of a of a of a ripe inroad for them. Um, and then you bring in the legislation and you bring in the special interest groups and, and everything like that. And, uh, you know, to not shy away, to not just make it guns bad, terrorism bad, to, to deal in all these shades has made this such a richly satisfying show that I just did not expect. I, I dare say, Matt, at this point, 10 episodes in, this is my favorite Marvel Netflix show. Oh, oh, I would, I would certainly agree with that. Uh, um, you think of what this episode was up on the writer's room cork board in terms of, all right, here's what we need to do. Finally, the conclusion of the Lewis storyline. And, you know, cause we have to clear the path for the final three episodes and, you know, and Billy and Barnes and all that, um, or, or Billy and Rollins and all that. Um, to, 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 to chop up the narrative order of things for this and to bring in all those issues which we've just discussed to give the anti-gun guy his, his moment and honestly to take a little of the, a, a little of the stuffing out of him um, to, to have Karen as somebody who the audience is always with yet here she is on the side of uh, having a, a concealed weapon and we know why, we know better than you know, average person off the street in the MCU because we've seen uh, we've seen the danger she can be in. It's she's just, a murderer, Matt. I mean, yeah. we 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 leave that out, okay? And you go all the back, all the way back to season one, but she killed Wesley, and it's never been dealt with. Um, you know, apart from some some shakiness and the idea that she was hiding what she did, but we're very far away from that event and she's still carrying the gun and yes she carries it for her protection but she has used it in anger and that's all part of this whole plot line whether it's acknowledged or not it's who she is i think we can't completely wrap up this episode without taking a moment to to, to acknowledge here's how deep the the marvel netflix world is where you have a character like brett mahoney who they don't do some sort of grand introduction for he certainly does not have the razzmatazz of turk barrett but just it took this moment where it's like oh that's the childhood friend of matt murdoch who was the beat cop or maybe it wasn't childhood friend but certainly the neighborhood friend of uh, of matt murdoch who we then saw in a later episode and who we then saw in jessica jones and who now th without any sort of sort of um attention called to it we see his his way up from patrolman now he's uh, out of uniform he's a sergeant he's working this fairly high pro not even fairly high profile he's the officer the main officer doing this you know following up on this investigation regarding the attempted uh, killing of a senator that left four men dead 
uh, five if you include Lewis. It, it It's just such wonderful shading. It's such a wonderful reward if you've seen all those other things. If you haven't, he's just a tough, fair cop trying to get answers. The fact that they have a bench so deep where they can grab this guy just adds to things tremendously. Matt, I've already pitched the, the Turk Barrett series for Netflix, which again, uh, I am available. I will write the pilot, twist my arm. I'll show run it. I'm now going to twist, um, <sighs> twist. I'm now going to pitch Matt, the, um, Brett Mahoney, Turk Barrett, uh, good cop, bumbling, bad guy series. <laughs> okay. And I call it Brett and Barrett. Get wow. me those two together. Get me those two African-American supporting players, put them in their own show and have them run up against one another throughout all the events that we've seen in the in the Marvel Universe. We can really fill in the, the gaps and the shades with those two characters. I'm telling you right now, I'd watch that show. I'd write that show. Get me that show. <laughs> Brett and Barrett coming to Netflix 2019. <laughs> Peter J.K. Lar. Copyright. <laughs> Characters I have no no right to. <laughs> well, it certainly would be it certainly would be great fun. And uh, you know, who knows? There there might Tell be Tell me a, you wouldn't uh, watch it. Tell me you wouldn't watch that. I would watch it. Who knows? This could be a this could be a a, a thirty minute one off. This could be a you know, web, I mean, I say web only. Obviously, Netflix is both web and not web in that it's on on our TVs. You don't kind of log in on your on your uh, on your computer solely. But it, who knows? It could be a it could be a Marvel Netflix one shot on the way out before Disney takes all its toys and goes to do its own thing or takes them all to Hulu, whatever that whatever that plan is. P.S. It's probably this week, if not this week, the next week when Disney moves on that front. But that'll be a that'll be a different podcast a different time a different place but pete all of this always so much fun even these darker episodes it's an intellectual fun uh and an intellectual treat and uh made possible by our pals on patreon.com slash fantastic geek absolutely and everybody who contributes at uh fantastic geek uh patreon level gets exclusive podcast content Matt, I believe uh, there'll be quite a few things in the next little bit hitting there. So all the more added incentive. Uh, we realize the, the payment structure has chained at, at Patreon and we have no say over that whatsoever. Uh, but we are really, really conscious of that. And we want to give you more than ever so that you can get that value uh, out of your gratitude, out of your uh, generosity to us. Absolutely. Always appreciated. Best loved though, Pete is being able to talk to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K T L R K E T E L A A R 9,701 followers. Can't be wrong. Ooh, exciting stuff. I am personally looking back lost on Twitter, but you can be in touch with the podcast any way you like. We are Fantastic Geek. Visit fantasticgeek.com. Email fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH all one word. Like it today. Pete, I thought I had our schedule down. We are 
course, recording this before Runaways, but it's dropping after. So here we are, Pete, in the future. It's S.H.I.E.L.D. tomorrow, right? Even though that's several days from now, because future. Uh, well, no, it's a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Matt, because on Friday, uh, December 15th, we'll be bringing you our Star Wars The Last Jedi review and impressions. Uh, we will, of course, live tweet Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at its normal nine o'clock hour on uh, December 15th. But we will be bringing you that podcast the next morning. Exciting stuff indeed. Pete, it's like we're having our own present time flashback future tense. <laughs> next thing you know, it's going to be Captain Picard with a, with a white goatee and the, the, the weird communicators of the future. It's all just, it's all so wonderful. So, Pete, I will see you in the future. I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word for this episode. The only crime in war is to lose. Walk away. <laughs> <laughs>